Welcome everyone to this episode of Green Talks. We're back to talk about research on membrane separation as a force for driving sustainability in the water. I'm Thomas Setsche, your student host once again from Greenhub Twente. Today, we can welcome Professor Wiebe de Vos, who will talk about his specific research and much more related to this episode of SDGs. Mr. Wiebe is a professor in membrane science and technology, with his key research being in the fundamentals of surface science, with physical chemistry and the applied field of membranes. I'm very looking forward to his explanation to all that it encompasses. Do not worry, he'll give us a one-on-one basic clash course on all of the environmental relevant research fields. Thank you, Wiebe, for accepting our invitation. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Could you please break down your uh, academic career for us and what exactly your research background is? Yeah, so uh, a little bit different background. Uh, so I started my education really at Wageningen University, molecular sciences, which is a combination of physics, chemistry, biology. And there I, I, I specialize in the field of physical chemistry. So it's not making molecules, but rather how molecules interact with each other. And I started a PhD there on, on polymer brushes and defouling coatings, really looking at very fundamental science. So how to modify a surface to keep it clean, to make it less fouling, for example. And that I kept developing. I kept pushing forward. I then uh, did a postdoc at uh, Bristol University where we looked at these coatings, but in a very fundamental way. We would go to a nuclear reactor. We would use neutron radiation to study in depth the, 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 the molecular properties of these kind of coatings, how they behave when swollen with water when a pressure was applied. And I loved that. It was it was terrific work. It was very interesting. <laughs> it sounds cool as well. <laughs> but it missed something. And that, mm-hmm. is, that is a bit of an application. Eh? Why mm. are you doing what you're doing? What yeah. is the relevance yeah. of it? And then we were looking. Uh, uh, my wife was there as well, study well, doing her postdoc at the University of Bath and, and doing their great work on, on her uh, uh, things, mm-hmm. uh, green shampoos. Uh, oh, lovely. In Bath. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, uh, well, basically, we had to kind of, uh, well, we wanted to go back for family reasons. And, uh, well, I saw, we saw an opportunity here, membrane science. And yeah, that attracted me immediately um, because a membrane is, in essence, something with lots of surface area. That is something I knew something about. I did not know anything about membranes, but I thought, ah, this is some a chance to learn, a chance to mm-hmm. add something, a chance to do make a difference, maybe. And that... Well, I can only say it worked out perfectly. Uh, this combination of, of well, having having a unique look at things, unique look at membrane science, because I came from a different field. But then, a, well, in combination with a very strong background that is here already in, in, in Twente on membranes, uh, more than 50 years of in-depth research, uh, one of the, the starting hubs of membrane science in the world. Really? I, I didn't know that. Well, you should. <laughs> I should, I should, yeah. <laughs> because it is really something we're very proud of. Uh, many, mm-hmm. uh, there's now two big membrane companies here that are spin-offs of this university, mm-hmm. uh, Penter Flow and Annex Filtration. Something to be very proud of. And uh, many Indeed. more uh, of these things around uh, us that... that uh, membrane recipes that were developed here and mm-hmm. are used in the world now. So I, I specialize in this, uh, using my background, combining that with membrane science, with the applied fields, and this is really how, how I started and how I got where I was. 
And it helps eh, if you have unique ideas. Uh, it also helps you to get income, grant income. Eh? My group grew. Uh, at some point, my boss left to another university. And uh, I became head of the group and be, was able to, to become a professor. And, uh, well, that's that's basically it. Yeah, that's that's exciting. And we're going to get back to the grants as well. And, uh, yeah, your research, we're going to go that, like pretty pretty deep into it. Um, so I just wanted to say that, okay, you, you also work together with uh, Bulo Shore, who we have uh, yes, interviewed yes, before. Certainly. Could you explain maybe how does your research field differ from his or how do you guys work together? Well, Bulo and I uh, are started mainly as teachers together. Uh, mm -hmm. We give one course, Advanced Molecular Separations, that really is, well, I would say my core course, something I love teaching. And um, where I'm a specialist dedicated to one separation science, membrane science, and, and, and look at, well, the material for the membrane and the, 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 the process around it, those kind of things, the mass transport. Bulo is much more a general separation scientist mm -hmm. and he specializes in extraction distillation. And I think that is why we complement each other so nicely. Huh? We work together well because, well, what, what he does in his field, I can learn a lot from. What I do in my field, uh, he can learn from. And, and together we have this more complete picture. And that is also what we try to bring to the students that we teach. Uh, we teach them all about the separation technologies. Mm -hmm. But then at some point we give them a case study. We say, well, this is a separation problem. These molecules need to be separated. Uh, they are toxic. They need to be removed from a waste stream. And then the students get to decide, well, I will use this separation technology or I will mm. use this one. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, hey, this is exactly what we are doing well in Twente, uh, building this generation of, of uh, well, young minds that are able to make tough decisions like this, are critical in their thinking. And well, that's something uh, we love doing. Yes. Yeah, great, great. Thank you for that. Um, now, before we go into learning more about your, your uh, research, I want to ask you the following question. What is your most unsustainable guilty pleasure? Ah, well, um, well, uh, I would say that uh, maybe it, it is really something I did last week. I would say almost. <laughs> uh, so uh, you, you have these kind of uh, conferences on climate, for example, mm -hmm. and then uh, that also coincides with the most amount of uh, airplane traffic of private jets of rich people that are trying to save our environment in the world. Right? Very true. Very true. And in a way, of course, I do something similar. So I had a conference called the Green Ring. So this was all about sustainability, mm -hmm. but it was in Spain. Oh, <laughs> so, uh, so uh, well, uh, and uh, that is, of course, I try to fly little, not too much. But I do when you go flying, when you go visit another city, I do love it. Of course, I go for the conference, but <laughs> I also go for 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 the people to meet there, but also for 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 being there. So that is uh, uh, still something we can do better, of course. Uh, make sure that we do more and more conferences online and uh, use less travel. But at the same point, we do need to sometimes get together and really look each other in the eyes and look at what we're doing and look at collaborations that we can yeah. build, etc. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, it's something that I still feel is needed. It's important, but we should maybe put a little bit more effort in lessening the amount of travel we do as scientists. Yeah. And that's definitely uh, something I'm trying to do, but sometimes, uh, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, guilty yes, pleasure. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, maybe, um, yeah, this is a question more for the people that are doing the, the rail network. How are they doing and uh, what are their plans? But, um, yeah. So uh, let's get to our first question regarding your personal motivation on mm -hmm. sustainability because we're here to talk about sustainability and much more. So what motivated you 
to to explore this field of let's talk about poly electrolytes, uh, nanofiltration, membranes, and their interaction, and uh, how does sustainability come into the game? So, for me, poly electrolytes that was something I took back from my previous field. So this mm-hmm. is something that uh, I had the pleasure of working together in in Wageningen with my professor Martin and Stewart, and he was one of the pioneers in polyectolite complexation and, and what to do with it. Now, polyectolite is a charged polymer, and it can come in two flavors, negatively charged and positively charged. Both of them are very well water-soluble, so that means you can easily put them in water, work with them in water, and that is what we do as well. Mm-hmm. But when they come together, the negative and the positive, they attract each other. Basically, it comes from a release of counter-ions, increase in entropy, not so important. They attract each other, and when they attract each other, they form something that is not water-soluble anymore. So this is interesting. You have a material that you can process in water, work with in water, but the moment you bring them together, they form a new material, and that new material is not water-soluble. And I really felt, well, this is, if we can make membranes from this, for example, uh, then we can circumvent all these kind of problems that we have with the organic solvents that are nowadays used. Uh, You don't know this, but uh, membranes seem very sustainable, but if you look at how the membranes themselves are made, Nasty organic solvents, reprotoxic in nature, they mix with the water stream, so you're polluting water streams. There's real problems there. So if we can make our membranes completely in water, and that's something we show now that we can do, is make these membranes in water or make coatings out of them in water, that is something that that comes. So uh, it came from my previous background. It's something that we introduced here that we've made into yeah, products by now, new mm-hmm. membranes that are actually applied uh, thanks to companies like Penta X uh, Flow and Exfiltration. And uh, th- that is relevant. And where does the sustainability come from? Well, uh, sustainability, well, yeah, I'm a father, I have young children. I, I really want to give them a world that is, uh, well, a little bit better than it was, but that is very mm-hmm. difficult. We're only making it worse at the moment. So if we want to do something, we really need to step up. And again, uh, that is uh, technology, making sure we put in smart technology to make things better. It's also just making better use of technology that is already there. And that aspect I see too little back. Uh, we're too focused maybe sometimes on just making new, new, new things. And if we make that new things, it will improve everything. But there is already very good membranes in the world that would really help with sustainability if we just started using them more. Mm. Okay. Yeah, very interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, now, a short question. What SDGs do you think are most closely related to your work and uh, how do you see your research especially contributing to them well so uh, the, the the focus for us is always uh, clean water and sanitation for all because uh, that is what comes out of a membrane it should mm-hmm. uh, clean water something that people can immediately use and of course then we think of drinking water uh, and, and 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 sanitation water those are important at the same time, I would say that we certainly also try to clean the water for environmental reasons. Eh? Think of, of life below water. Eh? Um, one example, when you take medicines, you use them in your body, but you go to the toilet and most of these medicines end up in your toilet. And then they go to our municipal wastewater treatment plants. So that mm-hmm. is where our water is cleaned. And surprisingly little of these molecules are actually degraded in our municipal wastewater mm. centers. So they just end up in the environment. 
And one news bulletin that was just there 10 years ago when I started here at this university was that also here in Twente, so locally, in our lakes, rivers, so much hormones, so this is from anti-conception, the pill, so much hormones came into the water that some f- male fish were starting to t- produce egg cells. So male fish start to behave like female fish, biologically start to, that is crazy, right? And this is in Twente, this is in the Netherlands where we're known for our quality of water. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so certainly also making sure that we remove these problematic, small, toxic organic molecules is not just important for humans yeah. and for clean water, but certainly also for the environment and life below water, on, wa- uh, mm-hmm. on land, uh, I think this is critical. Yeah, now now that you talk about the hormones, I'm not sure I want to swim in any of these lakes anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so um, now y- you told you told us about a bit on the research topics that you are working with, but um, what kind of innovative technologies you can still mention to us uh, when it comes to working uh, with the separation of these hazardous molecules or hormones whatsoever, and to making them more sustainable and also make make the whole process more effective what technologies do you introduce now so what we was because membranes could be used and this is the reverse osmosis membrane this is used already in big scales in the world to take seawater remove all the salts so that you get drinking water or irrigation water and that's an important application so what you find is that most membranes were developed for that purpose removing salts and What we are trying to do now is develop new membranes that are not focusing on those salts, but on those pollutants. And why Mm -hmm. is this? Well, for example, if we take a reverse osmosis membrane, we could remove these hormones as well. And there's even drinking water in the uh, companies in the Netherlands, like OAS, and they're now starting to do this. And make sure that they remove PFAS, medicines, all of this using an RO membrane. Now, this comes at a price. You pay more energy to push water to an RO membrane because it's so dense, so it comes with more energy. But also, if you remove all the salt, then you need to add salt again. So you need to bring salt from a well, uh, uh, from a salt mine somewhere, drive it there, all the CO2, etc. So what we try to do is develop membranes with unique properties, properties that were not there before. For example, to disconnect the salt retention and the retention of organic molecules. And that is where we try to develop a new type of nanofiltration membrane, something that we've become very successful at, is making sure that we block these organic molecules, but we allow as much as possible the salts to pass through. Now you break that cycle. You can now clean your water using less energy because it takes less energy to push the water through these membranes. Mm-hmm. But also you now have a situation where the membrane, uh, where the salt is passed through, so you don't need to add salt again to make it drinkable. Yeah. So making a new material like polyectolytes then leading to one, a more sustainable way of making membranes, but then also allowing uh, new properties of the membrane and that leading to new effective processes. That is very powerful. And that chain of thinking, that is, I think, where sustainability, well, really comes through and you can make a difference. Yeah, and concluding this, so the the cleaning of water is not only a problem in uh, developing countries, but also in in developed countries. So uh, so this problem of these uh, these organic molecules, uh, the high amount of, uh, that is almost something that you see more in developing countries because there more medicine is used, more uh, things Mm. are used. 
But certainly we should think about developing countries as well. And that partly means making it cheap enough, huh? making sure that it, it becomes a commodity product, that mm -hmm. there is, uh, uh, it, it's easy to use. And uh, certainly that is also something we focus on. Huh? Technology like this should not come at a high price. It should be something that is very achievable and attainable in a simple way. So that's also some always something that we focus on, making sure that what we do is relevant uh, don't use highly expensive materials that might give a slightly mm -hmm. better membrane, uh, but focus on, on, on using simple blocks that are already commercially available. So you can build something that can be much more quickly applied. And again, uh, we started 10 years ago and already some of these membranes are now in market. And that is that is very quickly. That doesn't happen often. That some and that is because of such an approach, using mm -hmm. what is there rather than using highly specialized, unique molecules. And uh, uh. Indeed, indeed. You told me earlier as well that one of the main issues with uh, membranes is that the technology is there, just not being applied on a wide scale yet. We need to uh, bring that message a bit. People are scared a little bit of membranes because they feel there's the problems with fouling, there's the problems with other things, and, and they are there, they are problems, but they are problems that we've been able to at least mitigate, huh? maybe mm -hmm. not solve, but at least make them so small that you can work around them and work with them. And it depends, of course, on the water stream. That is always a problem. So some water streams it's easy to use maybe another technology and yeah, we should also not say you should only use the membranes no yeah, again think of uh, the way I work with Bulo yeah, always looking for the best separation mm -hmm. for the for the specific case the specific task but yeah, membranes can really have a have a big benefit because with relatively low energy you can create membrane uh, clean water from from a rather difficult stream and that is a big advantage that is there. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's fairly now understandable. Maybe you can uh, point us what are the misconceptions then about your field in terms of let's say energy sustainability and the process. I think I think mostly membranes are seen as very complex or difficult, and uh, uh, that uh, you need a lot of <laughs> information to 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 work with them and understand them. And there is a difference. Yeah. So a technology like distillation is by now so worked out that that and understood that you can uh, basically using simple programs and devices you can easily. Um, yeah, design in silico a, a full-scale distillation unit, and when you build mm -hmm. it, it operates exactly as you predicted or close to it. Yeah? And again, this is what colleagues do that are uh, that are very good at it. Membranes are so specific to the water stream that you're treating that you always need that in-between step. You need to maybe do a lab test first, and maybe do a pilot-scale test, then, and then you can build the full-scale interaction. So. The 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 it's 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 a much more difficult road to go from from a first experiment to full scale. It takes a lot longer for a technology that is newer, like membranes, that needs still more fundamental understanding, more work. But yeah, that is the, the the typical conundrum that you find in 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 process technology that because something is not used. It's not so well understood, but because it's not so well understood, it's not used. Mm -hmm. And this mm -hmm. is what we're pushing through huh? and, and making it more and more available, making it easier and easier, developing tools that people can model, predict what they expect. And, and I think that is something that, uh, that is going to make a difference. And of course, training all these young people that they already know about membranes, that they have this in mind when they, well, start building their, designing their factories. 
Indeed, indeed. And sharing information like we are just doing it right now is a very important part of closing this cycle. I fully agree. Yes. Very nice. Now that we are talking about cycles, uh, I also understand and, and realize that the way you are doing all these processes and using the wastewater and uh, making it clean water, again, it's a very much a circular economy concept. So can you tell me about and tell us about um, how will, let's say, circular economy or how did the circular economy become so important and uh, what is your role in, in yeah, playing this shift? Yeah, so I'll be honest, when I started 10 years ago, our main focus was on removing those pollutants or something like this and making sure that you, you try to prevent these molecules coming into the environment. Mm -hmm. And then later on you realize, well, if we're making the water so clean that basically you go from municipal wastewater that you're treating, so this is really, well, quite dirty water still, mm -hmm that you're putting that membrane there, and the membrane removes all these things, that's a salt too. Basically what comes out is essentially drinking water. It is maybe not something that you would want to drink because <laughs> you're afraid, well, it's just sewage and then one little membrane and then I should drink it. Yeah. Uh, that's fair. Eh? Yeah. Uh, socially, <laughs> the social acceptance is maybe a bit, a bit different. But basically you're coming into a situation where you get very clean water and then well, should you just dump that water, let it flow freely into your rivers and lakes? That's fine. That's one option. Or should you already think, well, maybe we can now reuse this water? And that is so important because, yeah, at that point, 10 years ago, a drought in the Netherlands was unheard of. But now with climate change and within the past years, we've seen immense droughts in the summer in the Netherlands. Eh? We've seen situations where yeah, there's a lot of pressure on people to reduce uses of water. Agriculture needs to use less water. Rivers are so low that the boats cannot go there. And this is if we can have this cycle of, of using water, cleaning water, using water, cleaning water in a better way, I think that will be very beneficial, um, not just for, indeed, developing countries where droughts are a problem, but certainly also countries like the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we see the, the issue, the problem to be solved is very close, closer than we might realize. Yes, yes. So maybe how do you see then uh, water filtration and all these circular economy applications contributing to, well, uh, the nanofiltration of membranes and what are some key challenges that you are facing right now? Now, so uh, when we think of the membranes that we've developed so far, we've developed a number of generations. And the mm -hmm. first generation we developed, it was really powerful membrane already. It worked well and it was incredibly chemically stable. Why is that important? When you clean a membrane, and you need to clean the membrane now and again because uh, bacteria do adhere sometimes to mm -hmm, it. And you mm -hmm. want to remove them. Then the point is that it will, yeah, uh, uh, block a little bit the membrane. So you have to clean it. You use some chemicals for that. Again, that uh, you use chemicals, but you also use that for other technologies. It's still considered really quite a green approach. But the membrane needs to withstand it. If the membrane cannot withstand that chemical treatment uh, uh, using uh, uh, chloride-based approaches like you would use in your toilet, for example, that mm -hmm. kind of approaches, mm -hmm. then uh, well, you cannot use your membrane. And you, want to use to, you want to use your membrane for at least five years. So what we developed were membranes that were chemically stable. They were commercialized. They made this big breakthrough. And then we developed even better membranes, membranes that even better are able to stop these micropollutants, these medicines, the hormones, 98, 99% removal, these kind of things. But they don't have 
that chemical stability yet that we want. Mm. So this means that you can clean the more difficult, that you have to do a pre-process step to make sure that rather clean water gets there. Ah, th this is so what we're looking now is really that that uh, have for us that that close by goal in the coming three through four years is get that that perfect membrane with really this excellent separation property and that chemical stability that makes it so um, yeah, that you don't have to change your membrane every half yeah. year because yeah. that would not be sustainable at all. Yeah, but rather that you can use it for five years or even longer, and that is what we're looking for. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's very. How difficult is it? It is to produce that membrane, and how do you even produce it? Well, the secret is that it's absolutely not difficult. <laughs> so this is something that is... Uh, so what we do uh, to make these membranes is we have a support membrane. So this is what we start with, something that is porous already. And that porous membrane has a charge, for example, negative. And then we just take such a membrane and we dip coat it in a solution with a positively charged polymer. And the positively charged polymer automatically finds a negative charge and sticks there. Mm -hmm. And we've made a layer now, a layer of one nanometer. And then we take it out, we wash it a bit, we put it in another solution. But because the positive polymer adsorbed, the surface is now positive. You put it in a layer in a solution with negative polyactylate. Negative polyactylate comes in, sticks, forms another layer of a nanometer. And this is nanotechnology for 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 dummies. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it is something yeah, where yeah. you are able to build nanometer by nanometer, mm -hmm. so with an enormous amount of control. But at the same time, it is as simple as putting it in a bit of water with some polymer, putting it in another bit of water with some polymer, etc., etc. We even have a dip coating robot mm -hmm. doing that for us, and it's made from Lego. Lego. Um, I'm wow. not allowed okay. to mention brand names, but uh, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, these little blocks you can click together. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we, we used it to build a simple dip coating device, so it's even automated now. But in, uh, this is how simple that can be. So making a membrane with highly advanced separation properties can at the same time be something that uh, any bachelor master student here at the university mm -hmm. would learn within five minutes uh, when they're okay. in our labs. Yeah, that's that. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so it's basically like 3D printing using water. Well, it's, it's, it's step by step printing, but indeed, yeah. uh, some printing techniques are that layer by layer system, yeah. and, and that is exactly that. And uh, yeah, it, it really works very nicely. And there's a lot of control. So if you add a bit more salt in your system when you're doing this coating, the layer becomes a bit more open. When mm -hmm. you add less salt, it becomes more closed. If you use different polyactylites, you get different properties, material properties, and thus separation properties. And this makes it so powerful, the control that you have over the properties. If you change the material, you change the separation, and then mm -hmm. eventually leading to new processes. Yeah. W would you be able to do the same thing, let's say, 10, 20 years ago? Well, interestingly enough, this method was uh, developed, uh, this layer by layer, about 30 years ago. So that it was one that was developed. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not the first to do it on a membrane. So there were uh, Melin Bröning and Ben Tieke, and they were the first to about 20 years ago. They tried it on a membrane, they saw it worked, but they didn't understand it yet, how it worked. Mm -hmm. And I think this is, yeah, funnily, yeah, when I started as a scientist and I did this very fundamental work, I did learn a lot about these systems that that then when you come to the applied field, you use and that yeah I think uh, that way of tuning that understanding the the intricacies of how it how it works that was really needed to make it into a nice membrane. Uh, so you do see that you 
applied and fundamental, they are linked. Uh, you need that fundamental understanding to make steps in an applied field as well. Well, that's a, that's a very good motivation for us to learn theory. <laughs> <laughs> I agree there. Um, so we, we have also mentioned kind of the future on how, well, we're going to go more circular in terms of our water usage and uh, how membrane nanofiltration could play a crucial role in also, um, yeah, wastewater from from um, municipalities or or industry. Um, so maybe some more examples that you could uh, give us in terms of how this technology could be used further. So uh, the way I see it, we've already on the market. You could say there are now very good nanofiltration membranes for water treatment and even for municipal wastewater treatment. They can still become better. Something we're working on, but they are already good. Now the interesting thing is that there's a lot of other fields where such membranes could now be applied as well. Mm -hmm. One thing I'm really thinking of now is biorefinery. And we were very happy to have a big European grant recently, which was uh, in a consortium of, of different uh, doctoral training network, it's called, so 10 PhD students all over Europe. Mm -hmm. And here we'll look with all these kind of partners at, at how to push membrane technology further in biorefinery, yeah? making molecules from, from bio-based feedstock, but then the big challenge separating them in a good way. And this is where these membranes, and again, these unique properties of, for example, blocking a small certain organic molecule with a certain size, allowing salts to pass because you don't need them anymore at some point. These kind of things, yeah, I can see a big potential there. Also food, same thing. There's mm -hmm. lots of ways that processing food could become easier with this kind of, of membranes. So this is things we're exploring now a little bit. So now we have this great technology. Now we need to make certain that we don't just and I'm saying just in a, eh, not in a negative way, mm -hmm. but don't just use it for water, but also for all the other places where sustainability uh, is a challenge, but where it could add something and make something better. Yeah, here with, uh, as you mentioned, with biorefineries, I also see a great connection with your colleague, uh, Bulo, who is already working with the separation processes on uh, biorefineries. You can find his episodes as well in, in our series. And uh, we also had uh, Pilar with us, who was also talking about uh, biorefineries and uh, what actually um well uh bio um, uh, materials could be and how we could make liquids using feedstock as you said and uh next i would like to go a bit more into well education and uh, academia so in your experience um how do you think let's say our university could best support this you talked a bit about grants but how could the university best support your efforts in, uh, in achieving all these SDGs, such as SDG 6, so clean uh, sanitation, and uh, what role do you see teaching playing, playing a part in this? Uh, let me start with teaching, because I think uh, we, we talk about the interesting research, and I'm very mm -hmm. proud of the research. But if I think about uh, impact, things that really matter, and I think the teaching is much more important. And this is not just teaching uh, a course, but it's also the guiding the master students in the projects, but it's also PhD students. Eh? We mm -hmm. think of them as researchers, but really four years they're being educated and becoming better and better at what they're doing. And that is uh, teaching people, making sure to transfer knowledge, uh, transfer enthusiasm. These kind of aspects that I s always see as more important than every anything I do with grants and in in, in yeah, that 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 basic yeah, a PhD student that is with me for four years teaches a lot, learns a lot, but then goes out in the world and does 
things that are good for sustainability for many, many years, mm -hmm. right? So uh, in a way, this is the, the big investment that we should make. Yeah. Uh, make sure always that, that uh, teaching is the main thing we do. And that is very important also in our membrane science technology cluster, the bigger scale we look at. We don't want to be the best in just the science, we want to be the best in educating on our topic of membranes because we really feel that that is where you make the difference. And then the science is a tool for that. Now, how can the university support it better? I think yeah, we have a good education program here. Uh, yeah, I'm certainly not uh, disappointed. And of course, uh, I think rewarding teaching maybe sometimes more, uh, making sure that uh, career steps are not just related to getting money, which, which in the past it often was. And now we're looking more at the trend where great teachers, they are also uh, getting that same advancement in their career as, as uh, you don't need to, uh, uh, you, you cannot only become a professor anymore just because of good science, but you can also become a professor because of excellent education. And I think this is important steps that we need to still push further within our teaching system, within our university. Mm value the impact. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. So back to education, how could we integrate SDGs better in, let's say, your, your teaching, but also research? Um, and what benefit benefits do you think this integration could bring us? So I, um, well, we had uh, actually in our educational committee uh, within chemical engineering, we had a good discussion on this. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, one, one aspect is, if you do it, you should do it well. Uh, so there's this thing that we call greenwashing. And we should mm -hmm. really take care that we don't oversimplify sustainability. So if we incorporate it in our education, it should be clear that sustainability is something that is very complex. Uh, for example, I could make a membrane in a much more sustainable way. Mm -hmm. But if it then doesn't have the stability to last for a long time, then there's no benefit. Yeah, sustainability comes uh, from, from looking at the whole aspect of making something, using something, what happens to it at the end of its lifetime. Eh? You right. need to consider right, everything. Right, right. So for me, um, yeah, it's very important to think about this in ways of teaching, that it can have a big benefit, but only if you do it properly. Mm -hmm. Only if you do it from, from start to finish, from head to tail. Now, of course, eh, in our course, Advanced Molecular Separations, we try to exactly do this by making people uh, come up with a new separation process for something. Uh, we, we challenge the students, but certainly yeah, nearly all these cases have sustainability in mind. I think of cases where we look at uh, recycling of, of ions from battery waste that we think of, well, how would you achieve that? Because we are going to need it. Uh, all these batteries we're now using, <laughs> they, they mm. we can't just throw them away. We need to do something with it. So think about that already now. How can we recycle? How can we, can we get the lithium out to reuse it? Same holds for all these kind of processes and how we can re reduce the energy that we put in to make sure that, that we make it more sustainable. So challenging, uh, I would think, challenging students now to already let them think of what are the complexities, but what are the opportunities, that is uh, very important. Yeah, this, this very much sounds like challenge-based learning. Uh, yes, we also yes. had a colleague here to talk about yeah, what's the basic of that, but yeah, I completely see the, the reflection the reflection of uh, CBL in how you are teaching and what you are teaching and also the importance of having CBL in teaching. Okay, um, maybe some practical steps for industries to improve, uh, well, their processes and why would you urge them to think about their wastewater? Well, uh, 
what I find uh, here is that uh, in these aspects, we see industry is very conservative. So they mm. are almost afraid of, of doing something, of being the first. And I, ha I think uh, this is where we're now at a scenario where sustainability is no longer optional. Uh, it is necessary. We cannot do without it. And that also means that if you miss the boat now and you stay using your old type processes that are not sustainable, eh? then another crisis will come where energy prices will be much higher. And if you haven't invested, you'll get into trouble. The same holds for water treatment. If you're not already looking at these things, regulations will come that will force you to do it. Mm -hmm. And then you might be too late. So think about it already, invest already now, because it is coming. Uh, the world is changing, we cannot stop it. It's, ne it's needed, it's necessary. So yeah, please be head of the pack instead of being the last one over the line, uh, because I don't think it will be good for those companies. Mm, a lead and don't follow. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, inspirational. And uh, yeah, very good points, definitely. So um, last but not least, uh, you have mentioned that you have received many grants. Um, I thought it would be interesting and I'm also curious to hear what was the most prestigious grant that you have been awarded and uh, why are you so proud of it and what is the relevance of it for your research work? Yeah, let me start by saying that when I think of, of proud, I, I am very proud of my students. I'm very proud of the scientific projects we do. When I look at grants, I am, yeah, I know I'm lucky when I get one <laughs> <laughs> because it is a very competitive and when mm -hmm. one person gets a grant, another person who might just have been just as good or just as smart, but somehow didn't get it. Uh, that is the, the nature of the very competitive system we have now. So when I get a grant, I can only say that I'm very grateful and, mm. and proud is something that I, I, I even wonder if you should be proud when you, of course you can be proud of something, but I feel, I feel grateful and humble is, is the better words because when you get such a grant, then you also have an obligation to do something good with it, to do something That's nice right. with it. And then I have been lucky enough and I am grateful that I've got uh, a wide range of personal grants. Uh, this goes from Veni VD uh, to uh, ESC starting grant and now very recently an ESC consolidated grant. These are things, of course, they're terrific when you get that, when you have the freedom to look at this kind of research. But again, it also comes with then a clear commitment from my side to uh, do something valuable with that money, uh, to train new excellent people using that money to try and do research that is as relevant as possible. And uh, well, that is what I hope to do with this money, certainly with the uh, ESC that was recently yeah. awarded. Yeah, for the ones that do not know about the, the grants, could you put it into perspective? Well, so, so uh, when we talk about money-wise, of course, then uh, typically in the Netherlands, we have a system called Veni Vidi Vici, where each grant is in a different career stage. Mm -hmm. Veni three years after your PhD, Vidi eight years, and Vici 15 years, I think. And uh, this is quite powerful because you can get these grants in uh, when they follow up. And uh, the first one is 
300,000 by now, the next one 800,000, and the last one 1.5 million. So these are big grants, really something that you can do with something. DSC actually copied a little bit this system from, from the Netherlands. They look at the Netherlands a lot when they mm -hmm. look at their grant design. And they came up with an ESC starting consolidator and advanced grant. And starting grant is seven years after your PhD, consolidated 12 years after your PhD, and then, uh, then uh, that is kind of how it goes. And it goes 1.5 million, 2 million, 2.5 million. So it really is a lot of money. And, and again, uh, that is something to then be very grateful for and feel very lucky if you get it because mm. of the insane competition that we now have in, in science. Yeah, one, you are one of the few, but then again, it comes with a lot of responsibility. Like like said in Spider-Man, power <laughs> comes with a lot of responsibility. Well, <laughs> in this case, uh, yes, money comes with responsibility <laughs> right. to, to spend it uh, in a useful way, yes. Wonderful. Now, uh, last, I would just like to discuss, let's say, some partnerships, collaborations that you have been involved in that uh, that was aiming at advancing the SDGs and sustainability through your research field. And what have you learned from these experiences? Well, I, w I would like to say that uh, it seems now like I did all this research and uh, nearly everything I've told about I do in collaborations. And mm. that is also how I work. I collaborate with people. I work with people. People inspire me to do better things and I hope to inspire others. Uh, so a lot of these things are in collaborations. Some projects, it's a small collaboration, maybe uh, us working with a single PhD student and, and, and one company, for example. These can be very interesting uh, there's a lot of trust then if you do it like this. Mm -hmm. But some are very big. So one one I really want to highlight is a project we're now doing. And this is a, called an NWO TTW project. It's a much more applied way of funding. And basically you ask for funding between yourself and another university or research institute, in this case Wageningen University, the group of Hyperinaards. And you get a consortium of companies and institutes involved that act as a kind of steering committee. So mm -hmm. they help to determine the route in which you go, but they also put in some money then to be part of them. And what we managed to do is get a consortium of, of 10 companies and institutes. So these are water boards that guide and, and make uh, the, to clean our wastewater in the Netherlands. Drinking water companies, they are uh, technology providers like an exfiltration, Nyhuis Industries that really build the, 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 the technology to clean the water. And uh, institutes that with smart people like KWR, STOA that, that, that work on these kind of fields. And this really is very nice. So what we're now trying to do is clean wastewater. So we block the micropollutants, but then in our way of working, we send it back to the bioreactor, which is a critical part of any wastewater treatment plant. And basically we're saying, well, if 20% of the micropollutants got degraded, if we send them back, another 20% will get degraded. And if we send them back, another 20% will get degraded. So if we just keep managing to put them back, we solve really not just the problem of removing them from the water, but even we immediately do something with them to get rid of them. Mm. And this is only possible because, well, we have some very smart people within my group working on the material of the membrane, very smart people working in our uh, cluster, like Walter van der Meer or Blamerting. They develop more the process that is involved in this. And then we have the group of Hyperinaats that do the bioreactor part of it, how what happens if you start e getting 
this recycle of micropollutants, and of course all the companies and institutes. So this is something that works well and is only possible because of this big group of people all working together. And that is, yeah, again, something very powerful and something I'm very happy to be part of. Mm, yeah, it's an excellent example of, of collaboration cross-discipline, cross-functional, but yes. really just, just people coming together and do what is right. That's amazing. Now, um, I would like to kind of wrap up this, but before I do that, I would like to ask you for a takeaway message. What should the audience take away from this episode <laughs> about your research, about your your inspiration and how yeah, how should they be inspired after this? <laughs> well, I don't know. For me, there's so many things that I had to learn uh, yeah, by doing and, and, and things that, but uh, anything uh, that, that uh, had the most important thing is, I think, the final thing. Uh, don't do science alone because uh, doing science alone, it doesn't get you very far and it's very lonely. Mm. Uh, make sure to, to collaborate. Uh, find people that you trust, that you can work with, that you share ideas with, share enthusiasm with. And then you can get get very far. Uh, and, and uh, well, you all get far. And that is the nice thing. Um, so that for me is the main message, always. Mm, run the marathon together. <laughs> well, yes, yes, yes. Uh, and uh, yeah, help each other where you can. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that is, uh, I think, uh, the new way of science that we did maybe a little bit too little in the past and that is really mm -hmm. coming up now and, and changing. Yeah, Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for being part of this episode. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I really hope that the audience also enjoyed listening to your research about membranes and how this is going to shape our future and the future of water and sanitation. So thank you very much. And uh, well, I hope to see you soon again. Thank you. And of course, thank you to the audience for listening. Thank